as we continue our study focusing on spiritual warfare and specifically the pieces of the armor of God that he's given us, I want to give us a reminder before we jump in and get going today that if someone is a child of God, there is a guarantee that there's going to be tribulation that comes their way while they are here in this world. If I could describe it this way, intense spiritual pressure. Those are words that maybe aren't as familiar to us. We know what intense means. We think we know what spiritual means. And likely no, everybody knows what pressure means. But intense spiritual pressure is what is going to come. But God has given us exactly what we need for when those times come. I want to ask you to bow with me one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your wonderful plan that we can look back and study, looking at it in your word, seeing it in history, and seeing it in our lives. How beautiful to watch you interact, to do something in our lives, to bring us to a point where we recognize that we need you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And I think we have, in a beautiful way, sang about him today in a way that reflects that we understand how great that price was that was paid. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We praise you for the promise to give wisdom when we ask for it. And I would ask for that now during our time. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some hot-button issues that will come out every once in a while in small group discussions. They'll come out every once in a while in the news. I'm going to talk about a news report um, a little bit later on in my message, and I'm going to talk about one of these hot-button issues. I'll let you know what the issue was because I need to tell you about something that happened with me regarding this hot-button issue. When it comes to raising children these days, there are thousands upon thousands of opinions of how this should be done. There are thousands and thousands of opinions on how this should not be done. Now, I'm 44 years old. I was raised in a day where spanking was going on in the homes. I'm looking for facial responses as I say that. My mother actually will be here with me to visit my mom and stepdad this coming week, and I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to start by telling you about the most memorable spanking that I received. By the way, the word spanking, um, on my smartphone, some of you are familiar with autocorrect. If you punch in a word incorrectly, it will automatically um, punch in a word. The word spanking isn't even in, even in my phone, all right? That's how far we have come now, that the word spanking not only underlines it, but it changes it to something that I did not want. So um, Siri can't even pick up the word spanking, it seems like. When I think of the most memorable spanking that I ever got, I want to tell you that it was memorable and maybe not for the reason that you might think. I had an older brother that had a memorable spanking for a reason that I, makes me smile to this day. <laughs> but when I received a spanking one day years ago from my mother, I was a young man, and typically my dad would be the one that would give me a spanking. And I was at the point where I needed it, and my mother went to give me a spanking, and I can remember going in the room and bending over the bed and and I was anticipating something. And here's why it's memorable, because it's, a, it's an attached to a very strong emotion. Because as I leaned over to get my punishment, 
And she went and she swung, I think she swung a belt, is what she uh, swung to hit my backside. And I felt that my, reac- my reaction was as I, I snickered. I laughed. My mom tried to punish me, and I remember anticipating this huge punishment that was coming, and when it came, I, it, it, was, it was embarrassing to me, and I laughed at it. And then I went up to my room, and I cried for probably half an hour because I felt so bad because my mother, I mean, I, I, I responded like that, which was much more of a punishment, actually. I would have forgotten it if it would have hurt, probably. But the fact that I knew I deserved a punishment, I knew that I had a parent that wanted to give me the correction that I needed, and the fact that I didn't receive it, well, that was hurtful to me. And I could remember I cried, and also when I saw my father the next time, I went to him and I said, Dad, I need a spanking, just like that. That's the only time I ever said that, (laughs) by the way. When we think of this idea of correction, when I think of my mom and my dad, when I think of myself as a parent today, why is it, whatever form of punishment you would use when you've got somebody that you're trying to correct, what is it that drives a person to use some kind of correction? Well, I want to suggest to us that the vast majority of the time it's out of love. If a parent loves a child, they're not going to let them live just any old way that they want. That's going to not only make the parent miserable, but it will lead to a child that's heading down a road of disaster. Children need correction because they are not yet perfect. And I put the word yet in there on purpose. If your child comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and the parents are supposed to be an evangelist first to their household, then they will be perfect someday, but most of them are very, very far from that for at least a long stretch of their life, maybe even 20 years or more for some of us. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bible, that will be our text for this morning. And I say all of that to, it'll be one point in our message And if you're taking notes, I'll have five main points that we'll go over. We will move rather quickly through this. Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. We're only going to cover half of verse 17, but I wanted to, um, just for context's sake, read this whole section, starting in verse number 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've been going over the different parts of the Christian's spiritual uniform, what God has given us, and we we read those first verses there. It really paints a picture of the battle that we are in. I started by saying intense spiritual pressure. As we've talked about this, we have gone over the fact that the devil is not going to let up, even after you've had a great victory, even after he's read the book of Revelation and sees that he loses in the end, he's not going to let up on you as long as you're in this world. We look forward to heaven, but we very much so need to be paying attention to what's going on around us. Of course, the Apostle Paul is using an illustration here of the armor possibly that would have been on one of the soldiers that was guarding him as he was in prison. And I won't talk long about the Roman soldier's helmet, but I'll just mention it quickly. The helmet to protect the head. Extremely important for the soldier. Likely made of brass or iron and leather. It featured a band to protect the forehead. It featured oftentimes some plates to come out and protect the cheekbones. And so this was a very important piece of the armor. There was very little that was exposed to danger. And for the Christian, our helmet is salvation. This is the shortest text that we're actually going to preach on from the book of Ephesians. Verse number 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. We can't even get a whole sentence, not even a half a sentence in for this text. And as I have spent time looking at what um, good teachers think of this text, and I've prayed about how this applies to our church family, to myself personally, when we think of this protective helmet that we have There's no doubt in my mind that Satan is going to use a couple specific arrows and point them at you. And maybe you can can connect with this today. Maybe you have felt the attack of the devil in the area of discouragement. Has there been a season of discouragement in your life where you you knew Bible verses and you knew songs and you had good people and you knew Jesus? And yet there was an attack of discouragement that was coming your way. I think there are two areas the devil attacks in that apply to this piece of the spiritual armor. One is discouragement and the other is doubt. And I think both of these get directed in the area of our salvation. And you and I need to learn to focus on some specific truths of the gospel So this is the helmet of salvation. So we're gonna look at some specific promises, some truths of the gospel to help sustain us when doubt comes and when discouragement comes. I'm gonna give you five of these. Here's the first one. When doubt and discouragement come, we need to be sustained by our, and this is my wording, you don't find this in the Bible anywhere, by our aha moment. We are sustained by that aha moment. A Christian life begins with embracing the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this. It means that you became aware that you were a sinner. We sang earlier how deep the Father's love for us. It was my sin that held him there. 
until it was accomplished. That aha moment will include a point where you understand that you are a sinner and because of your sin, there's a punishment for that sin. Even right now, there is a separation between the sinner and between God. So you need to recognize that you're a sinner. And then part of this aha moment is going to be when you hear the good news that God's only son, Jesus Christ, died a horrible death. And he did not die because of anything that he did wrong. It was a punishment that was put out by the Jews at the hands of the Roman soldiers. And Christ never did anything wrong. We understand that he died because that punishment was my punishment, the one that I deserved. Because of my sin, I deserve separation from God forever. And we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross and then he rose from the dead victorious over death and victorious over sin. And when we hear the good news that God's only son died that, we understand that if we ask him to forgive us and make us his child based on his sacrifice, then we can have fellowship with the Father. So this separation between man and God, this is God's way to close this gap. For thousands of years in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the work done on the cross. Now, Thousands of years after that work, we are looking back at the work done on the cross. You need to have had a time when you realize that you were a sinner and you were separated and Christ paid for your sins. As I go over the many gospel tracts that we have, we have many that we offer. We have hundreds of these. You can take these and give them out, explain to somebody the gospel. And we have several different kinds. We have some that have great pictures, We have some that have a a very clear and unique explanation. We have some for children that we will give out. In fact, we just ordered some more here for children in the church. We have some unique ones. We gave out copies of this at our booth at the Lapeer Days. This is very detailed. They cost about a dollar each. But they ask life's most basic questions. Why do I exist? Is there life after death? We also gave out copies of this Billy Graham DVD about heaven. I hold all these up for you today to let you know they all have something in common. They all give an explanation of this work that Jesus Christ did and how you need that work, but then they also take you to a place where you can ask for forgiveness. Some will have a model prayer. Some will have um, just an invitation to um, participate in this. And I think that is a part of that aha moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first two verses say this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and then look at these next words, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. What is Paul talking about there? This same author who wrote the book of Ephesians also wrote that letter to the church at Corinth. And he says, this gospel which you received in which you also stand. And then it says, unless you believed in vain. You see, a Christian life begins with embracing the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to this church that you need to continue to stand in that. 
The confidence in our salvation is helped when we can recall that time, that aha moment. That's going to give us confidence oftentimes. Now, maybe you can't recall the day. Some of you can, right? I know some of you can recall the day when you decided to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you wrote it down. I've had people tell me about their spiritual birthday, and they celebrate that. You don't have to be able to remember the exact day. Maybe you remember the season, this, this portion in your life when God was doing something to draw you to himself, and you know very specifically that, there was, that you were different. But I want to challenge us today that it must not be that we're only able to refer to to an event from the past when we're talking about salvation. The confidence that we're going to have, so this protective helmet, this protective salvation helmet, we're gonna have confidence in the battle in those intense times when we can not just point to something that we did in the past, but when we can look at active belief in our lives. Oftentimes a Christian is asked to share their story And they might talk about that first test, that time when they accepted Christ. As followers of Jesus, let us talk about when we heard, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, amen and amen, but also let us continue to talk about our faith in Jesus Christ and what that means for me this week. What I saw him do last month And it's not that that saves us, but that's going to give you a confidence that it wasn't just something years ago that happened, but it's something that's continuing in your life. So number one, we're sustained by that aha moment. Number two, we are sustained by a father's correction. I began our message today with this. We are sustained by a father's correction. In Hebrews chapter 12, we find a great passage about this. I'll put it on the screen. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And this is sons and daughters, of course. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The God who paid the immense price of sending his son to die on a cross, the God who paid that price for you to be in his family, he loves you too much to let you go down a constant and habitual road of sin. I'm not saying that we're not going to sin, but I'm saying that if you are a child of God, God is going to get involved and there is going to be some correction that takes place <laughs> I am um, I don't watch a lot of news but I do like to keep keep up on what's going on and I record one news program every night and typically I'll watch it and fast forward through the commercials there was a story that came out it's a couple weeks ago now I smile just talking about it because I started my message 
talking about this subject. There was a story that came on on the nightly news and I told my wife, I said, she doesn't always watch the news with me. I said, you're gonna wanna see this. And my children stood there and watched in horror with their mouths opened and my wife and I watched in glee with smiles from ear to ear when they did a story on spanking in the public schools. They named how many states this is legal in, and they focused in on one school where the parents can sign the, the waiver, the permission slip, and turn it in, and at what percentage of those parents say, go for it. We would love that. And of course, the day has changed very much. We know that for a true son or daughter, God is going to bring some kind of correction to chastise us always for the reason of bringing us back to him. And it can be confusing in this world. When bad stuff happens, it could be the chastisement of God or it could be a beautiful testing of God trying to make you more pure in this world so that you can accomplish something great for him. 1 John chapter 3 speaks um, in detail about this. You and I, and this feels backwards, doesn't it? I imagine if someone that's not a believer or hasn't studied this, this is gonna be a confusing point to them. We are sustained by the security that comes by a father who would correct us when we stray away from where we're supposed to be. Number three, we are sustained by an inner voice. We are sustained by an inner voice. You might call it a still, small voice. Galatians chapter four, verses four through six says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you're taking notes, write down Romans 8.16 and then go and read it later on today. Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is something that goes on within when we are saved. And I'm not trying to get spooky here by saying this inner voice. We've been dog-sitting recently. We've been enjoying that time, and I thought to myself, you know, this is really nice because I'm not talking to myself all the time. I'm talking to the dog when the dog is in the room. Sometimes we think we're going crazy. There can be something within us. There will be something within us when we are saved. Now, this is one of the most controversial um, areas that I'm going to talk about today because of the next words that I'm going to use. Sometimes, as a child of God, there's no doubt that you should feel saved. You should feel redeemed. You should want to sing. You should want to talk about it. You should feel saved. And some people cringe at that phrase, I feel saved. Why do people cringe at those words? Because if I put a whole lot on these words, I feel saved, then what happens on those days when I don't feel saved? For those of you who are Christians, are there, are there ever days where maybe you don't really feel 
this incredible salvation that you've experienced? I can raise my hand to that. There are some days when I don't feel saved. But I'm convinced that we should not let the devil own this phrase. Does that make sense? You see, there's times I don't feel saved, so can I never say I feel saved? I'm not going to let the devil have it. I'm going to fight with the influence that I have to hold on to that because there needs to be times when I, in fact, I would say the vast majority of the time, unless you are far away from God, living knowingly in sin, or you just are choosing not to grow for some reason, you've had that aha moment where you understand what salvation is and you've asked for it, but you've chosen not to get serious about this relationship. You've forgotten about the price that was paid. Maybe you don't feel saved a lot if you're in that kind of a place, but for the one who knows Jesus Christ, the vast majority of the time, you should be encouraged by that inner voice, that inner witness, Romans 8.16 calls it. And we need to be careful because the devil is a master counterfeiter. He will come and he will take the way you feel, He will surround you with temptation and with doubt and discouragement. But simply put, there is an inner voice telling us that we are the children of God. This is part of that helmet of salvation, I believe. And then number four, we are sustained in these intense spiritual pressure times. We are sustained with increasing victory over sin. Increasing victory over sin. Romans 6.11 says, you must also consider yourself dead to sin, but it doesn't stop there, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as a Christian, you're going to be strengthened as you see yourself growing in holiness. You're going to be strengthened in these intense spiritual times when you can look at the history and see how you've grown. Now understand that it's not simple I have this picture in my head of climbing an icy mountain. I've never done that. I've climbed up a snow hill before, but never an icy mountain. So imagine climbing an ice-covered mountain, and just like that, there will be times when you slip and you will fall backwards. But I want to encourage you that if you're able to take a step back, look at this picture of your life from the time you got saved up until the point today, and if you can project into the future, you should see this upward trend. It should not be that you got saved and it's a flat line. You should see a gradual upward trend, and yes, we do slip sometimes, and God is merciful and he's patient, and that's why we should be merciful and patient to others. We will slip sometimes, but you should see this constant upward trend moving towards righteousness, a life of obedience in your journey with God. And I will say this, it's not a main part of my message, but if you can, I mentioned earlier, living in a pattern of sin. If you can continue in habitual sin and you can have the mindset that, well, I guess I can get away with this. There's no consequences. If you are able to continue in what the Bible clearly defines as sin and you think you are getting away with it, I would just 
in the place I am today tell you, you need to check to see if you've experienced the forgiveness of God. He loves you. He will correct you. You should see increased victory in your life. And if you are one that you have this sin and you looked around for a while and it seems like you're getting away with it and maybe it's months and maybe it's years now, you need to check to see if you are genuinely a child of the king because I don't think that's consistent with the word of God for what God does in one of his children's lives. And then the last one, we are sustained in these intense spiritual pressure times by faithful obedience, by faithful obedience. Ephesians 2.10 says about the Christian, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I constantly have on my mind as I'm going to teach the word of God the issue of credibility. And when I talk about this, what I'm, I'm not going to take it off my list that we're sustained by faithful obedience, but I understand very much so that there are many people that don't know Jesus Christ that can do some good stuff, right? There are a lot of philanthropists out there that don't know Jesus Christ. There are people that are doing mercy work because they enjoy it. Maybe because it helps them get through life. There can be a lot of reasons, and so we need to be very, very careful to not say, well, it's only Christians that are doing good things in this world. You're cutting your legs out from underneath yourself if you say that to somebody because there are plenty of people that don't even know the name Jesus Christ that are kind people. It is my opinion that whenever we see someone that's not a Christian and we see those good works, all of that is borrowed from what they have learned from God. Anything good within us comes from God and even those outside of God, a picture of mercy or kindness or love, those are all borrowed from God. And so it's very, very tricky as we approach this one, but I wanted to put it in there because you need to have on this protective helmet. You are going to be sustained in those attack times by faithful obedience that you can observe in your life, which is similar to the last one I know. How are these works going to be revealed? Well, through self-control, through patience. And God is so, he's so patient with us And he lets us learn this because I know some of you have a long way to go in some of these areas. The area of joy. I don't like to be around for very long a person who has not learned this idea that to be joyful in the Lord is a command. It's difficult to be around somebody like that. And if they know Christ, they don't have any good reason not to be. Some of us are learning love, not just loving ourselves. We really don't need that much work at doing that, do we? But loving others because of the love that God showed to us. How about peace in our life? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 tells us that there are fruits that will be produced by the Holy Spirit through your life. All right, what can we do? I've taken the five points and just put them as the applications. If you're discouraged or you're doubting in any of these areas pertaining to salvation, ask yourself, turn these into questions. Have I had an aha moment? Now, we're broadcasting live over the radio right now. We have folks here that I've never had a conversation with before. I really don't know if you've had that moment before. 
Maybe you've heard it again and again. I get confused when I hear somebody talk about growing up in a church and I never heard that message. I'm sure that is the case sometimes, but I've wondered sometimes if maybe they just weren't receiving it, that they're a sinner and Christ died for their sins and they can ask for forgiveness. Have you had that aha moment, whether it was a day or a season, but a time when you went from being an enemy of God to being a child of God? Number two, put it in form of a question. Am I responsive to a father's correction? Am I responsive to a father's correction? Or do I snicker? Do I say, well, that was worth it? Can I encourage you, do not test your heavenly father in this way. Do not think if there was some kind of a small rebuke and correction that it's going to stop there. In our Bible Knowledge Hour, we studied, went back to the, the, the first murder and Cain and Abel, and we talked about how beautiful God was to go to Cain when that sin was starting to creep in. God said it's like a crouching lion waiting to pounce. And God gave Cain the warning, and he did not heed it. And the result was hate and the first murder. Am I responsive to a father's correction? You need to be listening. You need to not be, my Uncle Jack used to use the illustration. I'm not sure if it was a good illustration or not, but it's burned in my mind. He'd say, you need to stay so close to God so if he's gonna correct you, he can't really get a big swing at you, is what he would say. He'd say, stay in close. You're really close, so it's just a little tiny tap because if you get far away, God can really get some momentum going. I don't have a proof text for that anywhere. But let me encourage you, listen to that reproof from a corrective father because he's never gonna give up on you. He will continue to help you until we are in glory. Number three, turn it into a question. Is there a constant inner voice? And that can get confusing because the devil wants to jump in and he wants to speak. And what does the devil love to quote? He loves to quote the Bible and the scripture. He twists it. You need to understand that there needs to be an inner small voice within you pulling you a direction, of course, um, um, secured in God's word supporting that. Number four, put it in the form of a question. Am I seeing increased victory over sin? This is a promise, and I feel so bad for believers that struggle with sin and they let it knock them out of the game. Well, I guess God's got no use for me. I'll just wait for heaven. And they think they're going to be just in this holding pattern until they get to heaven. You can have victory over sin. It's all throughout God's word. He loves you enough to not let you continue in that. Are you seeing increased victory over sin? Can you look back and say, I still fall sometimes, but it's not as much? Or that temptation that used to be so strong, it seems like it's lost some power. Increase victory over sin. And then the last one, is my obedience clear and encouraging? When we have this walk that God has left us here in, we're gonna get incredible pressure. Some of you could tell a story, right? If I gave you 20 minutes, you could tell me a story about intense spiritual pressure. And it's so hard because we walk sometimes through the doors of the church 
and in a Christian community and we walk past people and they might not be able to see that intense spiritual pressure. And this is why we cannot get rid of the local church in God's plan until Jesus comes back. We can't do it. You can have a Christian spouse. You can have a small Christian community. God has established his church. This is the bride of Christ. And that's why I am a wholehearted believer that the church is going to continue and nothing can take the place of it. There are all kinds of good side groups, parachurch ministries, um, small groups here, but nothing will take the place of the local church and everyone who calls himself a child of God needs to be a part of this. So you can encourage so you can put on the glasses that lets you see someone. It's not that hard to catch it, is it? Because when you ask that pat question that we get asked 50 times on a Sunday, how are you doing? Sometimes people will respond with, fine, how are you? Sometimes they'll pause. Hey, brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to put your ears on to listen for that pause? Because oftentimes they're going to think, okay, I'm not going to dump on this guy because he asked me how I'm doing. That's not what he means. But for a family of God, you don't see it as dumping. You see it as an opportunity to minister and to listen. And God would say, come into my fold. Come into the family of God. Be part of one of my local church families. How beautiful that God has not left us here on our own. We have his word, we have the spirit, we have the bride of Christ, which is the church. The pressures will come. Keep securely on your head this encouragement that will come, that will sustain you, the wonderful beauty of God's salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we begin with prayer and ask that you be clearly involved. And now I would come and with a recognition that the devil would bring things that would snag our attention away, maybe commitments that we have in the next several hours, maybe something that's weighing heavily on us from the work week. God, I would ask that if the Holy Spirit has done some teaching, some convicting, that it'd be, it would be beautiful and it would be something that people would respond to. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Anna to play through a couple stanzas on the piano. This is a chance for you to pray. We always open up this time for somebody to pray. If you've not had that aha moment, if you have never come to the place where you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can ask Jesus to forgive you right now because of his work on the cross. Do that right now while the music plays. Maybe God has laid something else on your heart. We'd open you, that up right now. You pray whatever God has laid on your heart. You talk to your Heavenly Father right now.